Hey everybody, it is episode 71 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. I'm actually here alone for this intro. We recorded the interview we're going to play for you today a few weeks ago before the Capital 10,000 here in Austin. Our guest for the interview is Joe Stillen from Zap Fitness in North Carolina. We interviewed Joe's coach, Peter Ray, in episode 36 of this podcast. He came on to talk about the training approach with Zap Fitness, which is a running camp for adults that also hosts an elite athlete development group that helps run the camp as well as work the camp while training rigorously for big goals. Recently, this past weekend, Joe's teammates Tyler Pennell and Nicole DiMercurio finished fourth and sixth place, respectively, at the Boston Marathon. So this is a group of unsung hero-type runners that are working hard and potentially getting ready to do big things, as you saw with Tyler Pennell in Boston and Nicole both getting in the top six there. Tyler also finished fifth at the Olympic trials in 2016. So this is a team that flies under the radar and typically recruits athletes that aren't the big potential sponsored names, but are blue collar athletes that are working hard, still shooting for big goals. And Joe is one of those. He's in town to run the cap 10,000 as I, as I mentioned, and he was in town for that, and he actually won it in a time of just over 30 minutes, finishing just ahead of David Fuentes, who's a local runner. Joe Joe won by pulling away in the second 5K. They came through 5K head-to-head, him and David, and then Joe put down the hammer, finished strong in the second 5K. I think he had a, something like a 30- or 40-second negative split to get the win in the 5K and uh, in the 10K, and Joe is an athlete who has been training hard for a long time. He went to Princeton for his undergraduate degree, came to UT for his his, uh, master's degree, and had an additional year of eligibility left, so was working with the team here, John Hayes, and the UT track team here ran the mile and 5K primarily while at UT currently holds the mile record for UT, taking that from the great... Olympic silver medalist Leo Manzano. So Joe has quite a pedigree, but is working on moving up in distance. He did his first 10K recently and is going to be moving up to the marathon. His goal is to make the Olympic team in the marathon in 2020. So he's on a journey to get that. We wanted to talk to Joe and we, we, we thank Reebok, his sponsor, for bringing him to us. We wanted to talk to Joe to kind of show you what it's like to be uh, kind of, I'm going to call sub-elite athlete, an, elite, an athlete who is elite certainly by talent but doesn't necessarily have the big sponsor or the big name or the big pedigree. And so he's working hard at this camp while simultaneously training hard. And so it's just a little bit of a different view. We talked to Colleen Quigley recently, and she kind of showed you the blue chip view of what it's like to train under the Nike flag with Bowerman Track Club and have every resource available to you. Joe doesn't have that, but he's still working hard, still has big goals. And as you saw this past weekend by his teammates' performance at Boston, things can happen. And so these are the type of athletes that are really important to root for, to cheer for, but also to understand. And Joe in our interview had some really interesting insights that I think will be applicable to anybody who might listening. So 
with that, we'll play the interview. We hope you enjoy it. All right, we've got Joe here. Joe, thank you for joining us all the way from the East Coast. Blowing Rock. Joe is in town to run the Cap 10,000. And by this point, by the time this is published, we'll know whether he won it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but as of now, he's just a couple of days before prepping for that. But thank you for joining us, Joe. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And the first question, we just by way of background for the audience, wanted to learn a little bit more about your background, how you got into running and what it means to you and how that's evolved over time. Yeah. So I was a, I was a skateboarder in middle school. And, you know, I got to high school and first couple of weeks of class, I'd get, get home and, like, where all my skateboarding buddies, like, there's no one to skate around the streets in the neighborhood with. And realize they're at this thing called cross-country practice. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'll give this a shot. I don't even know what cross-country is. So I go out and the first day it's like a, you know, 800 repeat workout. So I just get thrown to the dogs. <laughs> but I think even on that first day, I enjoyed how it felt even though it was painful and uh from then on out I just saw the challenge and saw the steps I was making and I loved the idea of PRing and so I fell in love with the sport pretty quickly my freshman year of high school in Milwaukee um in the cross-country season and it's been uh it's been a awesome journey ever since so it's one thing to get into it in high school stay in it at the college level, especially if you're having success. It's another thing to be able to take that into a post-collegiate career. And I find that often that's a, a test for people of how really connected they are to the sport because you get, you, you lose some of the extrinsic motivation of being in a system and you really need a lot of that intrinsic motivation to stay in it. And I know you have some of that at Zap, but what, what intrinsically still keeps you in it and driving to be better in the sport? I'd say, I think um, just seeing improvement and coming out of college, you know, there's a lot of pressure to kind of, you know, go to work and do kind of do like the normal American sort of uh, societal norm of getting a job and everything. But, um, if you have something like running that you know you can be good at and you still, you know, coming out of college, I still had goals. I still said, like, how I don't think I've done what I can do in the 5K or the 10K and eventually the half marathon and marathon. And um, I think what just drove me was just that the, fir the first thing that I got me into it in high school, which was just seeing improvement and improving myself. And that was, like, the coolest thing for me was just seeing, like, what I could do with it and the places it took me and I just was addicted to that and I didn't want it to stop so the fact that I had a chance to do it was all I needed you know I just I grabbed that chance I went to zap and I've I've really been enjoying it ever since it's been there's been struggles it's there's been ups and downs just like everything and running will face plant you for sure but it can also put you at a really high place too so uh part of it's an addiction and uh addicted to the challenges um yeah, that's that's what keeps me going. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Colin Quigley on our podcast, mm. and sort of one of the reasons why I was so super excited about having you on was because Colleen's living the uh, the elite, the pimp daddy elite mm. lifestyle where everything's taken care of her. She's got a ticket in her hand. She's 
escorted to where she needs to go, how she needs to go, where she needs to be, when she needs to be there. And you're sort of a juxtaposition of that, more of a journeyman who's working his butt off on a day-to-day basis um, while still having an airline ticket handed to you probably and still getting on a plane to fly somewhere to go compete, but a bit of a different experience of that. Can you, most of our listeners are adult athletes running, you know, marathons, half marathons, 5K, 10Ks. They're really super excited about figuring out what life is like for a Colleen, but what's life like for a Joe, someone who's a bit more of a, a journeyman and having to working your tail off to get, mm-hmm. not that Colleen's not working her tail off in training, but there's not a whole lot of other things she's has to do other than what you kind of comparatively, comparatively to what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So sort of give you an idea of what your day-to-day life is like at Zap <laughs> and then sort of how that, how that process, how you think about that process in the context of the people you're lining up against and sort of, Another thing that's another whole side conversation is you got your degree um, both at Princeton and at Texas and things that probably wouldn't really lend to washing dishes and folding clothes and doing laundry. So I just asked a whole bunch of questions there. You mm-hmm. let you wander around in that for a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, Colleen, she's uh, I don't know if she referenced herself being a mermaid. <laughs> she loves the uh, we talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mermaiding. <laughs> I, I mermaid myself once in a while, you know, head to the pool, do a little cross training, get a little laugh swimming in. She could probably kick my ass, but <laughs> I don't know if she was a swimmer or not. Um, no, but, you know, I would I would say Zap, Zap, Zap Fitness, North Carolina Mountains, Blue Ridge, it's, it's a beautiful place, and... Um, we do, we do have a lot, a lot of support there. We're not, we're definitely not, we don't have to grind it out like a lot of, you know, uh, athletes do or runners coming out of college we we don't have to have jobs aside from running um, we get you know travel paid for we're sponsored by Reebok so we have that um, I will say you know part of the job is scrubbing out toilets <laughs> cleaning the kitchen you know asking people if they want some parmesan cheese over <laughs> their right shoulder at dinner for our campers <laughs> that's not a real thing cutting I, vegetables <laughs> Pete talked oh, about that oh yeah cutting vegetables with our with our chef um, mowing the lawn, you know, but you know, manual labor is a good thing. keeps keeps your mind off things. But I would say uh, it does feel like a grind. I mean, at Zap, you know, we're up against the world's best, and I think sometimes at Zap, there's a little bit of an underdog mentality. Um, all of us coming out of college, we're we are great runners. A lot of us, a lot of us were all Americans, but we weren't necessarily like the NCAA champions or runners up coming out we're kind of like the you know the no offense to my teammates and I but like sort of the middle tier um and so we have a chip on our shoulder and we you know we kick our we kick each other's ass in practice all the time and we're all of us are very competitive and um you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning at zap and you know that you're gonna have to go run hard and train hard and hit the gym hard at zap because um like that's just what our team expects of everybody and so um, and yeah, I, there's not as, I don't think there's as much handholding, I guess, as, as you call it at, at Zap, but, uh, there's definitely, it's definitely, uh, a good spot to be in post-collegiately. Um, I would say we're probably a little more poor <laughs> than, uh, <laughs> I, maybe I should have called the blue collar, white collar. Well, yeah. You don't <laughs> have the big Nike contract. Right. No, we don't <laughs> have the big Nike contract, but we have, the, but, uh, but Reebok treats you pretty well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we get we get our cereal and milk paid for. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a team-based contract. I mean, in, in it's for sure is yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. We had a post-collegiate team for a bit, and the idea for it was basically that it became a holding place for that second tier of athlete who couldn't necessarily get an individual contract, but that had potential and wanted to explore that potential and see if that could earn they could earn that individual contract. I mean, that's essentially the the game, right? Is that Zap is hopefully a place that becomes a stepping stone to something bigger. Yeah, correct. And we do have at Zap, we do have the the opportunity to kind of get to the next level with a Reebok contract. Like we do have an agreement with Reebok that if you run a certain time in all in each event, uh, fifteen hundred to marathon, you can get a pretty pretty decent annual salary from straight from Reebok. The way it's set up now is you come to Zap and it's more like you said, more of a team contract. Like you're there and you're getting your salary from Zap itself and getting the benefits from Zap itself and the equipment and travel comes from Reebok. So give us a little bit of a day to day like sort of a day in the life of yeah. a Zap athlete. Let maybe a a Tuesday or Wednesday, something something that maybe has quality in it, but that shows a a bit of the range of what you're doing in a day because mm-hmm. it's a little bit different than most post-collegiate athletes are regardless of their of their whether they're white collar or blue collar it's a really unique thing that you guys are doing there yeah i mean tuesday's a good day because that's trivia night day <laughs> <laughs> so i can tell you the day often ends in going to the local uh brewery in boone and doing trivia but uh, but no, uh, the Princeton guy loves the trivia. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend's really good. She's like an animal nerd, and <laughs> Joanna Thompson. She's on the team. She's she she's pretty good at trivia. But yeah, t- but you wait. You know, you wake up. Um, we do practice at eight fifteen every morning. Everyone comes down. You get your your uh, other vitamin C, aka caffeine. <laughs> um, drink a lot of coffee at Zap, and. Come down. We have a facility. We have a kitchen. We have a dining room. So everyone just kind of congregates there. And at eight fifteen, we head out to practice. And most of the time, we drive anywhere from twenty to half an hour to our to where we're going to run. Um, and you know, we meet our coaches there. We have uh, Pete Ray and Warren, Ryan Warrenberg and Matt Lapiccolo are our three coaches. And you know, if it's a workout day, it might be at Moses Cone, which is kind of this really beautiful national park with a lake there beautiful carriage trails a little bit of elevation gain on the trails um and we'll do you know a long run or or i guess if it's a tuesday anything from a tempo run to an interval workout there or if we're trying to hit the track we'll go to boone which has appalachian state they have the track there um and you know most most of the team runs anywhere from 90 to up to 120 miles a week so it's a pretty a pretty lengthy practice most of the time. Our team is a, is a little higher on the on the mileage side. Um, you know, come back from practice, everyone just attacks the refrigerator. Um, <laughs> like we usually have a lot of leftovers in our fridge from the night before, and it's a feeding frenzy. Like it's like we have ten athletes, we have a big industrial fridge and a big industrial stove, but it's kind of like who can get on the burner burners to make their eggs first, <laughs> or like who can get to the microwave and get their like leftovers warmed up get <laughs> get their next cup of coffee after practice and then how about that after after that do you guys do afternoon sessions as well or is it one big session in the morning we typically a lot of people double you know um i think pretty much everybody on the team doubles at least twice a week we have 
you know, Johnny Crane doubles five or six days a week. He's a marathoner. He's runs a lot. Um, he's a really tough guy. Um, and yeah, it will typically, if, if you're running twice in the day, a lot of the times you'll do your, you'll do a second run of five to six miles at Zap. We have a half mile loop around, around the facility itself. And then, uh, you'll do like a core or lift session three or four times a week in the afternoon, which is either pure core or it can be some lifting, some hurdle drills, uh, or some plyometric drills. That's typically what we do in the afternoon. And then every day at 6.30 we have dinner, which is either cooked by, you know, we pair up and cook dinner for each other. Or uh, from May to November we have a, uh, like an in-house chef uh, who cooks for us and he's a he's a really good cook so that's we always look forward to that too <laughs> and you have duties for the camp in the midst of all that is that right that's correct yeah with with camps we set up the lodge where the campers stay the adult uh, running vacation campers we set up the lodge we make the beds we sweep out the rooms clean the bathrooms um, get the place looking really nice keep it clean and then when the campers come we bring them on runs you know make sure they don't get lost make sure they don't run to South Carolina accidentally or something. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, the coolest part about the camps, though, for us, kind of our job is just sitting down and talking to the campers about running just off the cuff, just sort of like on a walk around the campus or at dinner or at lunch. Just, you know, they pick our brains, and most of the time I learn something from them too. You know, it's like you can learn from a – from an everyday runner as, as an elite, just, just as much as they can learn from us because they've kind of got the sort of little bit fresher mindset than we do when we see running every day. They come at it with more of a sort of um, less le- uh, a more distracted mindset, I guess <laughs> is one way to put it. Life, right? You, yeah. you they, guys they, are in a, you're in a little bit of a bubble. Yeah, they actually have a life and we're just... <laughs> just running his <laughs> life <laughs> what do you learn from them that to me is interesting because we've got as steve mentioned we've got audi- our audience is primarily older adult runners that are doing yeah. everything from 5ks up to marathons but they're you know they're road warriors and weekend warriors they're not doing this for a living they're doing it to challenge themselves so what do you learn from the campers just just keep it just how to keep things in perspective like sometimes as an elite when you're living breathing eating sleeping running you just forget how simple the sport actually is at it in its most basic form like we have a we have a camper named Kurt and he he's one of our biggest fans he's all over Facebook we love him um and he you know after some of our mo- our recent races he'll be like you know sometimes after races after a bad race you guys will get on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and kind of come off with like a negative attitude that you just ran like you know, 1355 <laughs> instead of 1330 in your 5k. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, like you do realize that like, that just sounds like light speed to us either way. <laughs> you're right. I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is the, it is to us, it's like a crazy difference, but like in the end, we're still really fast and we're working really hard. And if you have a bad race, uh, what we might think of a bad race is still like stellar to them. And, it's kind of just, you know, nice to hear that sometimes and nice to just be like, yeah, like keep things in perspective. So you had a, you ran in high school, obviously well enough, and you were smart enough to get recruited at 
Princeton. You're yep. recruited by many schools, I'm sure. Fake it till you make it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, your coach at Princeton, was it Steve Dolan? Was Steve Dolan your coach? Yep. Yeah, so you had Steve Dolan as a coach. I think Jason Vigilante recruited you to go to Texas, but then he, is that true, or did John recruit John you? John recruited So me. John Hayes recruited you. So you had John Hayes as a coach, and then, um, I'm, I'm, forgive me, your high school coach may have been informative and important as well. I'm not sure, but you, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But <laughs> So you had a, maybe perhaps had a formative high school coach, but a formative collegiate coach for sure, and oh, yeah. Coach Dolan, he's, um, he's amazing. Um, and, and then Coach Hayes is also amazing. And now you have Coach Ray as your coach and with a couple assistant coaches. Talk a little bit about the journey as an athlete between a coach, different coaches with different philosophies, how those philosophies played into your strengths and your weaknesses, and how you transitioned between each of them. Because many of the athletes that we coach, they're also changing from one coach to another, and they think that they're doing this all by, them, like, all by themselves. But you were doing, you've done the same thing repeatedly by choice, but because you had to, right? So talk a little bit about the, that experience for you and maybe a little bit of, of actually shop talk about the workouts and maybe a little bit about the philosophies because I think our listeners are hungry for that kind of information. Mm-hmm. And most of the elite athletes that we talk to, they gloss over that stuff because they think it's it's too it's technical. not it's too technical, but it's literally our athletes, they run 70, 80 miles a week. They do two quality workouts a week. They do quality long runs, the quality in their long runs. They're doing not that much different stuff than you're doing because I coach them and I throw everything at them. So talk a little bit about that experience of shifting from coach to coach and how that played out for you and, and the way it makes you think about your future. Yeah. Well, your, uh, your athletes are awesome, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. They are. <laughs> they are. They uh, are. <laughs> dude, I think about that question all the time. Of course, because you're, a, cause you're, a, you're a smart athlete. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> t- I got two words for you, and it's buy-in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love you, brother. Yeah. This is, there's a high five happening right now, virtually. <laughs> Virtual <laughs> high five. <laughs> um, that is, I mean, I think about it a lot. And like, I'm, I've come to the conclusion that almost you could have a terrible coach who doesn't quite know what they're doing. But if you just buy in and kind of blindly follow them you might you probably do pretty well as long as you're going out and running the miles and you know they might assign you the wrong workout here and there but if you actually believe in what you're doing that's like 99.5 percent of it um but in terms of just the coaches i've had um it's first of all i've had awesome coaches i haven't had a bad experience um with you know, a coach that like yells at you too much or just is immature about things. Like I've, you hear like horror stories in the NCAA all the time. And luckily I've, I've had really good, really good coaches. Um, but the journey has been from coach to coach, um, you know, high school, I really had no idea what we were doing. It just kind of followed. Um, def- I guess probably definitely bought in just because I was still a young student of running in high school. And if coach told us to go out and do, uh, you know, I think a four-mile tempo run was a big staple of mine. We do, you know, four miles around the urban blocks of Milwaukee. And I think I remember doing, like, 520 to 525 pace was, like, a really solid four-mile tempo in high school for me. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of things on the track, you know, 400s and 800s, just pretty typical high school stuff. Um, and then, and, you know, you get to, you got, we got to uh, uh, Princeton and Steve Dolan, and had a really good team there, 
and that was I would I would call Dolan's training pretty pretty simple actually like very kind of Jack Daniels by the book meaning you know every week you see a you, every week you see a long run you see your tempo run of, or a threshold workout of some type you see an interval workout of some type which is more VO2 max style um, and you know we do things like for the tempo run we might do a nine or ten mile what he called marathon paced run which probably was faster than marathon pace because <laughs> probably a long tempo right a long tempo in 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 college you just you generally run too hard i think all college teams very true just run too hard well number one you're not doing it in a vacuum no, right no. <laughs> you're so doing it with other guys yeah, who are all doing, who are all so measuring yeah, body measuring parts body at that parts. point right one yeah. particular body part body parts are definitely being measured <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and and, and Do- I would if I had to sum up Dolan, it's it was just a a very like measured approach, um, very simple interval workouts, eight hundreds, one uh, one Ks, things like that, mile repeats, uh, like you know typical workout, five six miles with a minute rest on the track, just you know maybe four fifty to four fifty five pace for us, which is kind of threshold pace. And that got me, you know, I had a really good career at Princeton. And actually, I should mention, I didn't really have my breakout. I didn't become kind of what I, you might call, like, elite, in air quotes. You can't see them, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, until I actually got my iron levels to fi- figured out. Ah. I tested a 7 Farad in my Woo! senior year senior year at oh Princeton gosh. in the fall. <laughs> I've had wow. girls test that low, but I've never heard of a man testing that low. Oh you may have gosh, the world record of an, of, an, of an athlete at a high <coughs> level that actually had a 7 as a Farrington count. That's how crazy. How did that happen? I, I don't know. I mean, we, they just they weren't testing enough, I guess, um, throughout the time, the first three years there. And then I was just racing like crap, like ran like, you know, literally two minutes slower in the 8K in cross country that wow. season. Like I ran like 26 minutes in the 8K senior year. Yeah, it's and not, that's Dolan's not like, what's happening? So he's like, let's go get tested. Fared in little seven. <laughs> Went to CVS, bought a you know a bottle of iron for $4. <laughs> Took one pill a day for two weeks. Boom. <laughs> like just You were doing altitude training crushing. without even knowing The lights it. came back on. <laughs> yeah, and so wow. had a really good track season after that. PR'd and everything. Like, it just clicked, and that basically, you know, had that not happened, I probably would have just, you know, gone into engineering, gone into the industry, gotten a job. But that happened, and it gave me the opportunity to run. It was like, all right, I want to, ru- I want to use my fifth year that I have because I was injured earlier. Um, so I went, came to Texas. Yeah, the the Ivy League pipeline the that Ivy came League through t- the pipe that Vidge started and then John continued. Seems yep. to have died down with the new coach there, but yeah. it was it was definitely a uh, nearly every woman that ran at the University of Texas dated some 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 man from Ivy League, and many of them are getting married in that way. <laughs> yeah. So it's crazy. Yep. I've it's it's a sp- on the women's side it's a Columbia pipeline, but on the men's side it was a bit more of a of a both a Columbia and um and and Princeton pipeline. So. Oh yeah, dude, it was it was a fun time here. Yeah, here and you had amazing results at Texas. I mean. Texas, just to give people perspective, it's not like there are soft records in the distances at Texas. Texas hasn't always had a long orange line, a long burnt orange line of incredible re- results year after year after year. But there have been, over the years, from the, eight, from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the years I was there, and then the early aughts, and the, and the 90s, the early aughts, and the, and the late aughts, it's like 
there have been really solid athletes that came to you. You broke Leo Manzano's mile school record, which is incredible. You broke the school record in the 3K, I believe, as well. I'm not sure if you got the 5K outdoor record, did you? But well, I didn't run outdoors. Oh, that's right. You just had a. Yeah. You just you didn't have outdoors. But that's 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 some serious scalps you took there at the University of Texas. Talk a little bit about John's training and and that transition from Coach Dolan's to Coach Hayes's training. Uh, Texas. I think I, I think I worked out the hardest of my life under under Hayes. Yeah, he's he, he gets <laughs> we get we got after it intensity wise. I would say the the VO two max work was was the heaviest I've ever done. And I honestly thrive under that and um to this day I'm like like look back and and see uh like how I how I ran under those those hard, hard workouts where we, you know still the best the most impressive i guess workout of my life is like you know six by a mile starting at 446 and cutting down eight or ten seconds and you know ryan donor and craig lutz and i ran 409 at practice mm-hmm. on the sixth mile with i don't know 230 to three minutes rest so that was like you know crazy you know two days later mario hall and sarah sutherland did the same workout but not as fast but com- as comparatively fast yeah because john and i have uh, we our systems are like we would we would never check with each other but the next day we would two days later or a week later we'd say what'd you do what i do we would do almost the exact same workout and our athletes would actually do the, we would look at each other and say okay we're doing something right you know yeah. it's yeah. like usually those coaches that are male female they they're at each other's throats right but we didn't have that relationship it was super cool and i know john is one of the great coaches in the country, un- unheralded in my opinion, not not given enough credit for what he's done and what he's capable of. So he'll get his opportunity at Wake Forest. Yeah, we'll, we'll see him soon. But. No, he's he's gr- he's getting it going at Wake Forest for sure. It's yeah. cool to see. So then your transition from Texas to Zap, because Coach Ray is a lot different than that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely Zap Fitness is definitely a more strength based program. So you're doing a lot more tempoing. You're doing a lot more threshold stuff. A lot more miles. The workouts themselves are are just longer. Like you're out there on your feet for a long time. You know, most of the time, 12k, 13k, 14k worth of work, um, even if it is really fast. So, it's it's different. You know, it's uh, but you. I found that you can still improve on a different system. You know, as you get as you get and as you get older, like I am now, and you start moving up to the half marathon. I ran my first half marathon this year. Uh, at Houston, right? At Houston, yeah. And probably going to run a marathon, first one for me this December. Um, that's, stuff, that's the stuff you need to do anyway. So it's kind of a natural kind of transition towards towards the longer events. We still hit it on the track, though. We still get after the, the VO2 max hard scintillating stuff. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. but It is. It is okay. exactly the right word. Yeah. The, jet, the, the jet fuel. <laughs> As an intellectual in this sport, do you ever have trouble b- buying in, or have you had trouble buying in? Yeah, I have to admit it. I'm. S- I mean, at it's. Uh, I think my biggest problem is probably thinking back to like, oh man, like this year, like two years, three years ago at this time, I did this workout and I just had a great race after that. Like, why aren't we doing enough, you know, uh, hard four hundreds? Why aren't we doing enough speed? Like, I want more of it. Um, and that's probably been my biggest struggle with post-collegiate running is just the patience, having the patience and believing in, in the system. Um, and I think the, the formula you have to kind of keep in your head is 
buy the value of buying in outweighs the perceived benefit of making whatever changes you think you need to make like if i think i need to ma- run this workout maybe i do maybe i don't but just not worrying about it is actually and truly not worrying about it is actually a, such a positive just kind of going with what coach says is such a positive that it actually outweighs the p- perceived benefit that you would have gotten from that workout if that makes sense bingo you know in a lot of ways i think of it this will sound i love my analogies and chris has just shake his head because he knows he's getting getting into some heavy shit right now but uh, when as you say it that way i kind of think of each athlete as a you know the the captain of a ship and you know how to use all those instruments and to make all those instruments work and as the captain of the ship because you you have to know all that stuff right and you're a smart guy um I like to say that the dumb athletes are the easiest athletes to coach and the dumb athletes are the easy ath- easiest athletes to, to be successful. Now, a dumb athlete is not necessarily an athlete who isn't an intelligent person. It's just an athlete who decides to be, to be dumb on purpose, right? But So the athlete is operating their ship, figuring where their rudder is, looking at all their instruments and everything else. But buy-in is the ocean. It's literally the water. It lifts and it drops. Mm-hmm. And if, you're, if you will let your water, if the ocean is high, the water is high, you're going to go much further and be able to use all those instruments in a great way. And so many athletes, they're lying on the shoals of the beach thinking that there's supposed to be water underneath them, moving the rudder, moving their instruments, plugging it, but they're actually on the fucking beach. And it's like, well, if you would actually get in the water, you might actually be able to steer <laughs> your ship and do all the things that you're supposed to be doing. A coach is, I think a coach and a system, a system is important because at Rogue, we're, I'm not the coach of every athlete at Rogue, but I am a coach in a system that's been created. And we all believe that the, co- the system is important and necessary. And that, that means every athlete in that can operate their boat any way they want, but the water is high. And the more results we get and the more success we get, the higher the water gets. And that means the further that the, that the, that the each athlete can take their boat. I don't know how I went with that, but it's better than hopefully, slaughtering, hopefully slaughtering the cattle or whatever it. I was last, hopefully last week. Hopefully the Princeton guy got it. The rice I think guy he did. Didn't, he didn't, he didn't like bat his eyes and go, well, I don't very, know what's going on. It's very biblical. <laughs> <laughs> is there any land left in your, in your coaching? Is this just water world? <laughs> hey, if your boat works, fair it's all questions. good. Fair questions. Fair questions, Joe. Joe. Very fair questions. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanna, you just ran 29.07 at Stanford. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's not what you wanted on that day. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Wanted to be a little faster. So (laughs) how do you deal with results that don't meet your expectations? Hmm. What a question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I give myself 48 hours to mourn kind of a bad race like that. And after 48 hours, it's like look forward. Just stop looking back at it, you know. Think about what you did wrong in the race itself. Try not to worry about what you did wrong in training, which is what we were just talking about. Don't don't dwell on, oh, like, should I done this? have done this? Should I have done this differently? Was I stale? Blah, blah, blah. Um, just look forward to the next race and uh, do what you can in that one. And get mad. I mean, I'm mm. mad about last week, and I'm pissed. <laughs> and I've got this race on Sunday, and I've got – a 5k in Boston next week which I want to crush so I mean get emotion I mean get emotional but in a good way like um use use the bad race as energy instead of like negative energy so in that race in particular what lessons do you take away it looked to me like 
I didn't watch it, but I, I looked at your splits, and you seemed to be kind of on plan through most of the race, and yeah. then just kind of the last mile fell apart a little bit for you. So what do you take away from it? You know, what can you reinvest in the next one that will help you? Well, it's, you know, it was my debut 10K, so it was first 10K on the tracks. So it was the first time I was going to that sort of territory, and um, I guess next time I'll just be a little, I'll have, more of an idea how it feels with five six seven laps to go into 10k it really jumps on your back really fast <laughs> um and i was kind of throughout the race like when is it going to happen when is it going to happen <laughs> when is it going to happen because i knew it was going to was going to get hard very fast but instead of kind of thinking about it that much i next time just relaxed sitting sit on the rail get in the pack just roll with it and uh and just believe that the the work that we put in is going to get me through those last laps better and not running, you know, slowing down as much as I did. So you're like, you're going to like pop three cherries this year, aren't you? You yeah. popped a half cherry in this January. Already popped you, two, you yeah. You popped a 10K cherry. You're about to pop a marathon cherry. That's right. That's crazy. So where are you thinking about running your first marathon? CIM? Is that you said? All right. Yeah. We've got a huge crew going out there. Awesome. We'll you will have a, you'll have a whole bunch of fans. I guarantee you after this podcast, you'll have a whole <laughs> bunch of fans. Awesome. Um, talk about that transition. I mean, you're when I I remember when I coached at UT, you were running the 5K. Yep. With some mile 1500, you're basically a 15.5 guy, um, and, and a really badass 15.5 guy. That there there are not many really good 15.5 people out there. Um, but now you're talking about something completely different: a half marathon, a marathon. How do you wrap your brain around this? Is what I did for so long. This is the this is my event. And yet, I'm moving up to something else. Number one, why move up? Number <laughs> two, what are you thinking with that process? Why move up? Um, just something new. Like getting, you know, I'm, I'm 28. I'm not that old, obviously. But getting older and it's it's time to try some new things. And uh, to tell you that, to be totally truthful, just to give myself the best shot at the 2020 Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. You know, you run the marathon trials, you get to come back and run the track trials you know in the summer so there's they're separated by you know five six months so you get two shots at at making that olympic team so we want to set ourselves up for that and your training's not that much different in that case either comparatively sounding what what coach ray does with you yeah i mean even at texas i was already running 100 mile weeks Mm -hmm. a lot so i'm i'm i've been used to running you know 14 15 miles a day for a long time now so I'll probably bump it up a little bit, maybe 10, 12%, but it's it's not going to be too much different. It, the long runs will be longer, the the tempo runs will be longer, there'll be certain stimuli that we put in, but it's not going to look too much different. And the nice thing is that my team is full of marathoners already. I mean, we have Tyler Pennell who won the 2014 Marathon Championships. He got fifth of the Olympic trials. So we have guys who know what they're doing who are examples. I've seen what they do. I know exactly what workouts I'm going to do in the fall. It's no mystery at all. So that it's going to be a, probably, hopefully, a pretty smooth transition. I'll tell you right now, my experience is true 5K people make great true marathoners. And your mechanics already, the way you run, you're, I think you're going to be really surprised at the success that you have at the marathon. I think the half marathon probably scared you a little bit because it's not an easy race to get right. It's <laughs> so smooth and easy. The, the 5K, I mean, the marathon, the, the 10K and the half marathon, they're weird races. 
They're, they're specialist races, in my opinion. But the 5K and the half, I, I mean, Chris has to hear this all the time. The 5K and the marathon, they're literally the same race. They're just one is longer duration and the other one is shorter in duration. But you're on the edge all the time, staying connected, being co- focused. If you, if you let it go any moment, it's going to go away forever. And that kind of intensity that you're able to connect with and play with in your mind and not be afraid of and extending it out to two hours, that's the biggest jump. But once you do that, you're, 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 you're wired that way already. And you're built to run a really good marathon. I'm excited to see you run a marathon. I think it's... You're making me blush. Yeah, well, <laughs> Thank you. It's good. It's good. I'm excited. Chris and I get all excited yeah, yeah. about our marathoners, we get man. Really excited. We get all excited about our so marathoners. So you mentioned your teammates, Tyler Pinnell. I'd forgotten he'd gotten fifth at the trials. I know he made the race by kind of yeah. going off the front. That was at Twin Cities. And That's a tough race. Well, to no, no. We, well, both places. Oh, I was yeah, talking he, about the trials in L.A. But oh, yeah. yeah yes. Twin he Cities, did trials, he made the, yeah. that race, too. But at the trials, he went off the front and sort of forced the pace and... And ultimately, Rupp and, and Meb caught him, but he made the race. Oh, yeah. And, but let's talk about that team dynamic. You know, in, in our groups here in Austin, we have little sub teams, so to speak, where people of a similar goal and a pace will work together in a workout. And there's a fine line between working together with your teammates <laughs> and pushing them, right? And, and I know rubbing their nose collegiately we're talking <laughs> about you measuring body parts and so forth. <laughs> but when you get to that post collegiate world, it's less about measuring body parts and more about all hopefully building each other to a big goal together. So how does that dynamic play out for you within Zap? You know, the racing each other in workouts versus finding synergy with the team. Mm-hmm. We have a I I guess the best way to say it is we have a diverse portfolio of guys in the stable, in the horse stable at Zap. Like we still there still is a little bit of body part measuring <laughs> going on not as much as in college we definitely take our easy days easy which i think is the biggest difference between collegiates and post collegiates is just the understanding that you got to you got to take it easy once in a while or you know when you're recovering but for me you know we've we've got guys who you know if they're feeling good they'll push the pace we have guys who kind of do exactly what coach says and we have guys in between and I'm probably an in-between guy um Pete you know he'll say run this pace and I think what he really means is run this pace if you're feeling pretty good if you're feeling really good go a couple ticks quicker per mile or whatever it is um so there's a little bit of wiggle room which I think is good um but you know we have we have a lot of fun at, at practice like there was a period of time at zap where there was a lot of injury and so there weren't that many healthy guys, but right now we're all we're all clicking, and you know we we kind of as much as we can we joke around and and talk and laugh between at reps, but then everyone's just totally quiet during reps because you can't really <laughs> you can't really breathe on on some things. But no, we we have a great we have a great team dynamic, great great chemistry right now, and it's 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 like you know what gets you up in the morning gets you out there. Yeah. What did you learn from a guy like Tyler, who's been there? Obviously, he's won the U.S. Marathon champs, as we mentioned, and you know he's he's taken his licks in this sport, but also come back and had some big results. So, what do you learn from him? Yeah, he, Tyler. Tyler's a Tyler's just a kind of a, a very quiet guy. Like he just kind of goes out and runs, and he run. And if he's feeling good, he runs hard. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from him is. Um, just like how to how to just you know go out and if you're feeling good like on a long run finish it out um that's what puts the dog in tyler is those 
long runs, like those 18 to 20 milers where he just finishes with like a 950 last two miles or something <laughs> just on a regular long run. Um, but yeah, he, you know, Tyler, like he just runs, like he doesn't really have much else. He, you know, he, uh, reads a lot. He, you know, plays f- games on his phone, but he's, he's locked in like much more than a lot of runners are into running. So like he, he's like, you know, totally bought into what Pete does. And I think he, he's the oldest guy on the team now and the second oldest. So I kind of always have always looked up to him as an example of just how to do it. So I've known you for a long time. We're not tight, right? We but we know each other. <laughs> and you're you're somebody who I always considered a philosopher. So how does a philosopher manage being in the woods? Are you a, are you an Emerson or a or a Thoreau or are you a cuz you're 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 kind of in the middle of nowhere with big ideas, right? Yeah. How does that how do you play that? How does that work? How does that work in the you know, in in the wee hours? <laughs> well, my 3,000-page uh, manifesto will be coming out soon. <laughs> no, you know, I mean... Uh, <laughs> he probably has one, though, Chris. I know you're batting your eyes <laughs> no. and thinking I'm crazy, but no, there probably I is one tucked underneath his, underneath his bed. <laughs> I have been trying to write a science fiction novel <laughs> called Fulfillment Center Earth. <laughs> it's about Amazon. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, <laughs> fulfillment center. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in the it's in the works. But no, I mean, it's, <laughs> dude. Yeah, it's, you know, you're in the woods and a lot of reading. Read a lot of books and play with drones. Tinker around with electronics. Hack drones. <laughs> write code like. <laughs> Nerd stuff, man. <laughs> you're still you're still from Princeton, right? You're, they, ne- Princeton's never getting out of you. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I get. Yeah, they. I try not. I they. Uh, I try not to talk too much about it because the second I say anything about like Ivy League, <laughs> or if I if I pronounce like per, I was gonna say potato guys. <laughs> they just like get at. They just destroy me. Like, ooh, mm, yes, Princeton. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Nice. So I was, we've talked about Gwen Jorgensen on this podcast before I was listening to her on the city is mad mag podcast. And she talked about her announcement back in November of saying, look, I'm going to win the gold medal in the marathon. And she got a lot of critique about that. That critique. Well, she got a lot of shit. She got a lot of <laughs> shit, you know, from, you know, especially, Deservedly so. especially your let's run.com message borders and so forth. Who basically said you've got no chance? It's a Conor McGregor move right there. It <laughs> is. And <laughs> he just it got was, arrested. It was interesting. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> he did. It was interesting listening to her perspective <laughs> because she said basically, look, I didn't say that for anybody else. I said it for myself to hold myself to a standard, which is that unless I believe that that's my goal and I'm doing the things required to get to that specific goal then I'm not going to be satisfied. So it was more about challenging myself and keeping myself held to a high standard. If you were to sit here and say, hey, I'm going to make the Olympic team, the men's U.S. Olympic team in the marathon, most people would say, Joe, you've got no shot. You know, there's Rupp and then there's Ritz and then there's a list of people that are going to have better resumes than you. So how do you find drive amidst a mountain that seems high to climb? 
you just got to like worry about you. I mean, you can't it's like how does how does how do the best athletes do it? Like how do you get from everybody got from some ki- got from being some kid in the neighborhood to being who they are. Some of them just did it faster. Like became it became clear that they were going to do it at some point in their life and then everyone was like, "Oh, oh yeah, they're going to be an Olympian." Like, well, why can't you just do it a little slower? Like your curve is just a little bit less curvy, you know, like, (laughs) like maybe you rise really slowly and you kind of level off a little bit, but then you jump up really fast all of a sudden and then you sit there for a bit, but then you jump up really fast again. Like there's just success is not linear. It's, you know, and I, I, I still believe that a huge breakout is around the corner, like similar to the one I had when I figured my iron out. Mm-hmm. Um, just another, another three to three, two to 3%, you know, increase, probably not even that much. I'm not going to do the math in my head right now, but if I run like, you know, what I'm capable of in the 10 K run another 2% faster, you know, you're talking about making the team already. So you just have to like, kind of like ignore Ignore the haters. You know, another thing that happened in that podcast, because I listened to it too, Chris, <clears throat> they asked her about why she went there. And she said, I went there because I, they asked her the question, not really why she went to there, but they asked her, hey, the U.S. is now on the women's side among the best in the world. There's only three countries in the world now. And America is at the same level as Kenya and Ethiopia and arguably better. But, but there's an argument there. Um, and... In the same way, you're in a position where a guy who almost made the team, kind of out of nowhere, I mean, I don't think anybody that has followed the sport, anybody who followed the sport long enough and knew where Tyler was when he was at Western State knew this kind of thing could happen. Yeah. He, was a, he was a part of natural talent that was competing at races that were at altitude primarily and um, had nobody had seen, and, and Pete did, and they was able to pull that out. So you're in a place where the expectation is this is the high level. And now you're going to have to jump to that high level. The high level at your team is somebody who was fifth at the Olympic trials and who won a U.S. championship. That's got to help, yeah. does it not? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think with Gwen, it's just, you know, just her saying that to everyone is like a huge mental construct for her. Like t- saying that out loud and, and having that published is, you know, like that probably is she probably thinks about that every time she wakes up and goes out and trains like. It's all about, like, mental constructs, you know? Like, believing that you're going to do it and saying you're going to do it to other people is huge. So, speaking of mental constructs, one of our major... One of the things we talk about on this podcast and in our training all the time is mental training. Yeah. What kinds of things do you do to sort of work the muscle between the ears, which is, as they say, on the starting line, 90% of the game, which is, uh, I'm not really sure about all that because it's kind of crazy, but... What goes on, you know, you know what it is. When you get to the starting line, there's nothing you could do about fitness, but yet the thing between your ears, that muscle between your ears is going to be crucial to getting where you need to be. How do you work that? What do you, what do, you do on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis to help you dial that muscle in? Yeah. I think, uh, I think I had this thing in college with my teammates. I call it the happiness theorem. You're not, you you're, you're not going to run fast unless you're, you know, happy. And what that kind of means is like just living a life that obviously, you know, you work hard in, in training, but next to that, you do, you do things that like make, 
you're where you're enjoying the training at the same time. So like when you think of a when you think of a hard pace or you think of like instinctually what a race is going to feel like, you don't feel dread, you feel kind of elation. You put yourself in position to associate like the pain of running fast with kind of like a you know, a runner's high or like, you know, if you're in a workout and you're and you're grinding, find a way to get you know, bring a positive out of it at the end because you go to the race and if you're dreading how it's going to feel and it's okay to like, you know, brace yourself for pain and be a little bit scared because you need your adrenaline. But I always try to just feel like a badass, you know, <laughs> like find a way in practice to make yourself feel like a badass. Like, yeah, I, we finished out that workout really well. Like, even if it's an easy run, that was a great easy run next to the lake. I saw some wildlife. I felt like a wild savage running through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the mental connection between your brain and your body is, like, huge. Mm-hmm. And you train that in practice. And if you can bring that to the race, like, and it's instinct. It's not really conscious. It's kind of subconscious. You bring that to the race, and you'll associate that hard that hard pace feeling towards the end of a race with, you know, happiness and like success and having a good time. That's going to, that's going to drive you. I was listening to the radio this morning. That reminds me of something I heard there. Mac Brown, former football coach at UT was being interviewed about Algie Garrido. Who's the now late great UT baseball coach who just passed away recently. And he was relaying a story told by Delos Dodds, who was the UT athletic director at the time Augie was in his heyday. And they were at a College World Series game. UT was playing in the College World Series in Omaha. And Delos Dodds was nervous about the game. It was about to start. Big game for UT, obviously, in the College World Series. He goes down to the field from the boxes or whatever and he just checks in with coach Garrido and he says, Hey coach, how you doing? I'm, I'm feeling pretty nervous. Are you okay? And Augie looks at him and he says, Delos, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> this is my home. Awesome. <laughs> and this sort of sense that why would I be not fine? This is what I signed up for. This is what exactly. I wake up every day thinking about like this. If I can't be comfortable and content in this moment, where can I be? Doesn't so mean that doesn't mean that your mouth is not completely dry and parched. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not pissing down the side of your leg. It doesn't mean that you're wondering why your why your like your lace broke while you were tying your shoes, and if that might be the whole reason why you don't follow through in the last 400 meters of the race. Like we are superstitious by nature, right? Yeah. But I do think that that's an incredibly prescient statement. You're home. Mm-hmm. I think more runners who thought that about their starting line, if they thought their starting line was home they would be a lot more cognizant of the real mission that's at hand yeah. when you're on a starting line. I like that. That's so cool. we're at 50 minutes, Joe. We, we, we know you have a, a race to win this weekend. So you have so many social obligations oh coming yes. up here. <laughs> so this is Friday before the Cap 10K, the biggest 10K in Texas, the most prestigious race in Austin for sure. Steve is a former champion. Yes, I am. And I, 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 it is the, literally the most important thing I've ever done if you listen to the people of this town. <laughs> yeah, and people, <laughs> he is a celebrity to this day because of that victory. So <laughs> there are big things at stake with this race that you may not realize. I mean, I think y- you probably understand a little bit, having been in U- at UT for a year, you probably understand a little bit about the 
what it means to win the Cap 10,000. It's a big deal. And There's a running culture in Austin. And people, oh, yeah. people recognize Steve more for that than anything else he's ever done. And <laughs> we have runners who have done bigger things than that, who've won the Cap 10K, and that means more to this city than anything else. So what does it mean to you to race? What are your goals so when people look back and see the results, they know whether or not you hit them? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, it means like a ton to come back and race in Austin. You know, the course runs along like the old haunts, the old places we used to run. You know, Town Lake, it's in Congress Ave. It's going to be awesome to just hit the streets again, you know, running hard like we used to under under Hayes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the goal, the goal is win the thing, you know, run fast, get over the hills in the first two and a half, three miles, and just crush that last, you know, three miles downhill. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll have enough room to maybe kiss some babies and give out some high fives <laughs> as I come Sweetness. to the finish. <laughs> I don't want to be, like, cocky or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your your teammate won last year, so. Yeah. They went one, two, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but there must be a little bit of a time goal there, too, as well. Yeah, yeah, I better beat them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Johnny and Andrew, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so what's coming for you? You've, you've mentioned a few things, and you know, one of the big goals for us with this podcast is to make fans of yeah. the sport. And one of the things we talk about a lot is that that you have to look past the gold medalists, the Olympians, the first and seconds, the you know, the, the storylines that our typical media feeds us about who we should be fans of, you have to look past that and go deeper. And sometimes, especially for the marathon, you know, if Desi gets fifth at Boston, you know, be happy for her in that because that's a big deal and be a fan of her, even though she didn't win. And so why should they, why should our listeners be fans of you and what's coming? <laughs> be fans of Zap Fitness. Got a <laughs> shout out, you know, <laughs> nice. little, uh, little training center in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, we do, I think we do a lot for the sport. Um, we connect the uh, kind of elite runner side of the sport to the sort of everyday runner. And I think that is the future of the sport, honestly, is, you know, figuring out a way to connect the, uh, the, the people who do it in college and come out of college swinging with the people who, you know, do it for a, for a life, for a lifestyle or for fitness or just, um, you know, for, for fun, or maybe they did it, you know, in college too, but, um, I just, I just think I, 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 my goal is to be an ambassador for the sport, and, um, I just love, you know, doing stuff like this, and teaching people just how to think about their own training, because ultimately it makes, you know, everyone better. Well, thanks for joining us, Joe. We really, we really appreciate it. it. Yeah, guys. Awesome. It's been fun. Thank you. There you go, Joe Stillen, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that interview and seeing sort of a different side of the elite athlete world. And Joe's certainly be a f- one to be a fan of. So follow him as you can with Zap Fitness and his teammates for sure. We hope you enjoyed the interview. And, of course, you can always check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Rogue Running or on our website at roguerunning.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>